You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. You know, people will do extraordinary things, dangerous things, when they're really desperate. Uh, this story is about desperation. Uh, the, uh, the debate has raged for many years in our own country. It will continue to rage about the men, the women, the children who make those perilous voyages from different parts of the world in a desperate move to find a new life and freedom here in Australia. I can recall a, a time of a, a concentrated time when people were trying to stow away in the in the wheel housings of large commercial aircraft. Can anybody remember those days? And uh, we had a real spate of these. And uh, unfortunately, those who were doing it didn't research the whole thing very well because the wheel arch of a plane is not pressurised. So those who didn't fall out, and many did, uh, froze to death. Uh, and that was discovered at the time of arrival. If we were to pass the microphone around this morning, I'd really love to do this and find out what desperate things have you done over the years in a situation, either a serious situation or a fun situation. I reckon the answers would be interesting. I was a a teenager growing up uh, in the last part of my teenage years in Perth. It was a Friday night. And on Friday nights, myself and a few friends would go to the Claremont Speedway. And uh, it was quite a cultural experience uh, to do that. And on one particular night, there were four of us in this car. My friend Murray had a a little Anglia, a lowered Anglia. Yes, just like out of Harry Potter for you kids who are getting excited. Uh, A lowered Anglia. And one of the guys said, look, I'm really strapped for cash this this week. He was in high school. He said, I worked it out like if two of us get in the boot... We only have to pay for two at the entrance gate as the cars move through. Well, it was clear that the Holy Spirit still had a bit of work to do on all of us uh, in the area of honesty. We're all from the South Perth Church of Christ. Uh, but it seemed like a good idea. I was chosen to be one of them. Uh, I, was, uh, I was the lightest one, uh, 60-something Ks in those days, if you can believe that. And uh, as soon as that boot lid shut, I made a discovery. I made the discovery that I'm an acute claustrophobiac. Uh, but fortunately, I was able to bear with that reality because we, dis- we made another discovery, that Murray had a hole in his boot, which unfortunately coincided with a hole in his exhaust. <laughs> a- and we were getting carbon monoxide pumped into that boot at a pretty rapid rate. A- and despite our poundings on the on the the back of the, of the seat sort of barrier. And we kept getting told, oh, look, no, just hang on a bit. There's cops everywhere. Just hang on a bit. Hang on a bit longer. We're going to... If my mother ever gets to hear this on podcast, she's hearing it for the first time. I don't want to upset her too much, but uh, desperate moves, stupid moves, crazy things. We all, we've all done them, I guess, at different times. Friends, when it comes to moves of desperation, the incident we have here recorded in Mark 2 certainly qualifies. Four men. Four men who take off parts of the roof of a house in order to lower their friend to the feet of Jesus. And you get the impression that Jesus is quite stunned by it, as I guess you would be. You know, they're teaching and all of a sudden, you know, bits of uh, plaster come sort of <laughs> falling down. You get the impression he's a little bit stunned. In verse 5, he says, it says, seeing how much faith they had, you know, like, wow. Jesus said to the paralysed man, His first comment was, your sins are forgiven. It was truly an act of remarkable faith. 
And that's why we're, that's why it's the ideal passage to deal with when we're looking at, a, at the subject of faith. Now, I don't know, like I said a moment ago, I don't know exactly what it could mean for you to have an increase in your faith. But I do know this. As the people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are meant to be people of faith. That's what we're designed for. As children of God, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to live at a level of effectiveness in which we are reliant not on our own strength and resources, but on the power and strength of God our Father and Jesus Christ our Son, uh, His Son and our Saviour. That's, that's how we're meant to be. That's the ideal. I mean, the Bible is full of, of exhortations, words of encouragement for us to live by faith. Paul captures it succinctly, beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, when he writes, we walk by faith, not by sight. We know that verse so well. Now, friends, in my humble opinion, I think this is the most challenging area of the Christian life, to move beyond the point of reliance on our own strength, our own gifts, our own abilities, our own ingenuity, and and attempt things that won't happen unless God shows up. I think it's a big area of challenge for all of us. I know it is for me, because we all tend to be pretty self-sufficient and all tend to trust in our own brilliance and our own resources. It's really tough to step into that area of faith and start relying on God in a big way. There's no doubt in my mind this incident is about the amazing outcomes possible when powerful faith in God is demonstrated. I mean, in this passage, a life is miraculously transformed. And a group of people see something they would never have forgotten. It's an amazing seen in the, in the ministry of Jesus, all because of the faith of these four men. Now, we have no way of knowing what their names were. Bible doesn't mention that. But for my purposes this morning, I'm going to give them names. I'm going to give these four guys names because each name will represent the four essential components of faith. Oh, this man, this, this troubled man, he had some friends all right. He had the kind of friends... Well, I mean, these are the best friends he could have possibly had. Because when combined together, they delivered an outcome that changed his life forever. Never be the same again. So the man's four friends, well, let's call the first one compassion. You see, friends, in the work of the kingdom, uh, most expressions of faith are motivated by compassion, empathy, genuine concern, a desire to bring about change. And that's a motivation that God eagerly responds to. He loves it when his people develop compassion and and seek to make a difference. These guys were filled with compassion for their friend. Look at the ministry of Jesus. Look, Look at his ministry. In virtually every case, his miracles were motivated by compassion for individuals and for groups. Is that not right? Heart went out to people and he he touched them and he he healed them. Uh, Look at the exploits of the disciples after Jesus had had returned to heaven. Uh, Look at the commencement of the early church on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Look at the... uh, the amazing missionary journeys of of Paul and his planting of churches all around the then known 
world. Look at the courageous resistance of the Christian church against the fierce persecution of the Roman Empire. Now, the motivation for all of this at the bottom line, the motivation was not the propping up of an institution. It was not the advancement of personal self-gratifying agendas on the part of the leaders. No, it was compassion for people. It was a desire to see the gospel flourish. And when the gospel flourished, lives would be changed and people would be ministered to in a powerful way. That was the motivation. Look what Paul says. He sums up his motivation in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. He says, I become all things to all men that I might win some. I've really got a desire to reach as many as I can and I'll do whatever it takes. I'll even be desperate if I have to, to reach these people. It's Bill Hybels of um, Willow Creek fame. He says to us as Christians, if you want to get involved in an area of ministry, if you want to start exercising faith in an area of ministry, choose something that makes you cry. Choose something, choose an area, whether it's kids or youth or the homeless or choose something that really hits you at the heart level, something that evokes compassion because that's the starting point for faith. Strong sense of compassion. There was another friend that day helping to get this troubled man to Jesus. His name was Belief. See, you can be moved by need. But you need to believe that in God's strength, it's possible to make a difference. It's possible to achieve the goal. Friends, during my years of ministry, gosh, I've I've come to know this principle so well. Because I have sat in scores and scores of meetings where great kingdom initiatives have been discussed. I was reflecting on it during the week, just in the area of of property alone. In my, my first church, In Adelaide, we bought the house adjacent to the church to establish what still exists today, a community drop-in centre. It was a big step of faith for that church. In my last church, Marian Church of Christ, we bought not one, not two, three homes plus a large corner block. We made one a youth centre, one a community centre and one a a recycled clothing shop, which uh, if you were around a year or so ago, you'll recall me telling you they took about a year ago their one millionth dollar from the sale of uh, just cheap clothing and bric-a-brac and that sort of thing. And then, of course, here at Northside, yeah, the six-year journey it took for us to develop this, this uh, ministry and conference centre. So just in the area of acquisitions, property acquisitions alone, I've been in so many meetings over the years. And you know what? Every one of those meetings had one thing in common. Eventually, they had to get to the stage where the decision makers went from being moved by by compassion that there was a need to the point where they believed it could actually happen. Weren't always sure exactly how it was gonna happen, but believed that it could happen and made the signature and released the funds, did whatever was, was necessary. All great ideas. All designed to make a difference in people's lives. But had to get to that belief stage that it was possible, that the projects were achievable. These four men believed it was possible to get to Jesus. And they believed that that moment was going to make a huge difference in the life of their friend. But there was another friend in that little quartet of intrepid men all those years ago. And uh, he represents another component to Christ-inspired faith. I call this man action. 
Action. You see, you can be moved by compassion. You can believe it's possible, but nothing happens until we take action. Remember Peter, when he uh, saw Jesus walking on the water? It's one of the most uh, amazing parts of the Gospels. And my mind tells me that Peter, when he saw that, something just kind of welled up within him. He knew that if, if he could do that, if he could get out there and start walking on the water with Jesus, he would be so filled with courage and faith. He would be set up for a spectacularly effective ministry. And something in the exchange between him and Jesus brought him to the point where he believed it was possible. But nothing happened until he stepped over the side of the boat in response to that beautiful invitation from Jesus. Come. Come. It's going to be okay. And then, of course, we know what happened. You know, he, he starts to sink and things start to go horribly wrong for Peter. And that provides a, a, a beautiful segue to the final friend. And that friend is determination. Guys, it, it's rare. Like in, in my experience as a Christian, as a, as a leader, it is rare that everything falls neatly into place for the person who has faith. I mean, these four guys, they were passionate. They were passionate about the need of their friend. They believed Jesus was the one. They took action. But what happens? They get to the house where they've been tipped off Jesus was visiting and they find their house is chock-a-block full, even the surrounding yards and street area, all full. It's just a regular suburban house, probably. And so they are faced with an unexpected obstacle, a massive crowd. Think of the options open to these guys. Just think of the options. Oh, gee, sorry, mate. Uh, seems a bit sad. We've gone all this trouble. And look, you can see, you know, there's no, no way in the world we're going to get in there. Uh, look, let's try and um, get together again sometime soon, maybe, if possible. And uh, we'll have another shot. I mean, that, that, was a, that was an option. But does anyone seriously think that the removal of the tiles from the roof was part of the original planning meeting? Like, like that, that wouldn't have been, like, the, can you, I, I, it's possible, but my mind tells me that they wouldn't have sat around and said, hey, here's a way to get ourselves on TV tonight. Uh, you know, we'll go down there, we'll, we'll take the roof off this house, we'll, we'll lower, it'll get Jesus' attention for sure, and it'll get heaps of publicity. No, 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 that wasn't part of the original plan. This desperate action was in response to a blockage. It was in response to a setback. It was in response to an unexpected challenge, a potential termination point for the whole exercise. It was on the run. It was just a, a response that was there instantly as these men were just so determined to fulfil this, uh, this gift for their friend. Friends, every person of industrial strength faith I know is a very determined person. They might not exhibit that in their personality type, but they are a very determined person if they've got industrial strength, faith. That's the way it is for those who walk by faith and not by sight. Why does Paul go to such lengths, such extraordinary lengths to describe the problems he faced in his journeys? The beatings, the imprisonment, the shipwrecks, the, the desertion by, by friends, it's all there. He does it to illustrate the need for determination in the work of Jesus. What does he say in Philippians 3.12? He talks about striving to win the prize. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 
28 and 29, he says this, So we preach Christ to everyone with all possible wisdom. We warn and teach them in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature individual in union with Christ. To get this done, he says, I toil and strive using the mighty strength which Christ supplies and which is at work in me. I toil, I strive. You don't get the impression here of somebody who's just sort of like uh, relaxing in the background, believing that God's just going to throw it all at his feet, make it all somehow okay. No, no, no. He's, he's right in there in the process, toiling, striving, determined to make it happen in God's strength. Right of the Hebrews, one of my favourite passages, what's, uh, what's he say? Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up. Because of the cross. I think maybe this is the point of, of distinction between those who go deep with God and those who are prepared to settle for a more nominal, more superficial Christian experience. I think this is the point of difference. I, I think this is where, it's, where, where, the, where, the, where the distinction is. And it, it leads me to ask the question of me and of you, how are you in this area today? How would you rate yourself in the area of determination, stickability. Has application for prayers when you think prayers are going unanswered? Has application for when you wonder what the next step is going to be? When you think you've been given a lot of setbacks, wonder if you can go on? This is the point of, this is the real defining moment. Determination, stickability, pressing through. It's part of the journey of faith. How do you rate yourself this morning? I have my moments, up and down. Probably you're similar. Stickability is the key. Determination was very much in evidence on the day of this miracle. Now, friends, before we finish this, and then we're almost done, but uh, there's one thing I want to draw your attention to as we bring this uh, message to a close. Do you recall the reaction of the teachers of the law in this passage? I love these guys. You know, they're popping up all the time, Pharisees, teachers of the law. They're there when Jesus is, is preaching. And this comes in verse 7 where they question Jesus' power to forgive sins. It's, it's right there. Let's, uh, let me check this. Look, verse 7. Look what happens. How does he dare talk like this? This guy just been dropped down from the ceiling. He's obviously in pain. He's in need. These four guys are excited. They've finally made it to Jesus. And what's the response of these guys? Um, how dare he talk like this? This is blasphemy. God is the only one who can forgive sins. I mean, never mind about the fact that a healing was about to take place. And Jesus' reputation as a healer is well established in Mark chapter 1. Check it out. He's healing left, right and centre. No, they wanted to share a few of their theological hobby horses right there. They wanted to share a little bit of criticism, you know, in love. Um, They wanted to sit back. In the comfort of their armchair, if they'd been armchairs, and if they had been, they'd be sitting there because they were leaders. And they want to look for the negatives rather than celebrate the positives. And it made me realise this incident in Mark 2 also highlights the contrast between stretcher bearers and arm care sharers. Between those with faith who are willing to put their beliefs into action and those content to just sit back and observe. See what's good and just offer a few little sharings along the way. Friends, it's so obvious not even going to unpack that. You, you, you get that point. All I know is I know what sort of follower of Jesus I want to be in 2012. I, I want to be a stretcher bearer. I want to be on the, on the pointy end of human need and suffering. I want to be doing my part 
to make that happen in the name of Jesus. And uh, the question for you is, where do you want to be? A stretcher bearer or an an armchair sharer? Praise God, we are who we are as a church because I happen to believe we have more stretcher bearers here than armchair sharers. I really believe that. And I never cease to thank God for the stretcher bearers in this church. And I saw some of them yesterday morning at the Glebe Street, at the Glebe Barbecue and the amazing work done down there with Hope Street. And every week, every day of every week when we're at full strength, the amount of faith that's exercised in this church as people's needs are, are addressed in the name of Jesus is fantastic. There's a question though for you, for me. Stretcher bearer or arm chair sharer? The two are contrasted very clearly in this passage. The life of faith demands that we go beyond the comfort of our own resources and ingenuity and creativity. Step into the water where we're reliant on Him. If He doesn't show up, it's not going to happen. That's where I want to be. That's where I've been all my ministry. That's where I want to be this year in 2012. I know you'll join me in that journey. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?